let me give you just a little context of what we're looking at and then what we've looked at the past few weeks. So here we have the Apostle Paul, who at this time was planting churches wherever he went. He's very strategic, but also led by the Spirit, and he would go to different parts of the world, and here he's at Crete, and he planted churches, and now he is asking one of his disciples, a Greek disciple by the name of Titus, to continue the work and also to follow up on the work, actually to have some tough conversations and courageous conversations with the work that is happening there, because in Crete, there are Christians, but you can't tell. You can't tell because they look like everyone else. In fact, they're not being called Christians. They're still called Cretans, which Jonathan reminded us, the Greek word for that actually means liar. And so that's what this town is known for, just just a bunch of liars, okay? And so we, we can't relate to that, can we? No, we're Canada. Okay, so, but here Paul is writing to them, and now here, here's what's happening. Um, You'll notice in every, in every chapter, Paul will strategically say, you can trust God. He doesn't lie. You can trust this because it's from God. You can believe this because it's true. It's from God. Now, why? Because of that. This was a place that was based on the reputation of lying. Now, why were they liars, though? Because of the God that they followed. They followed the God Zeus. And in fact, they claimed that Zeus and other gods were born there on Crete. They were from there. Does that make sense? So that, that was like the hometown pride. Like, we're the home of Zeus. We're the home of other gods. You know, kind of like if you've been to New York, like you go to New York. Yeah, this is New York. This is birthplace of hip-hop. This is the birthplace of hot dogs. This is the birthplace of whatever. Baseball, everything. You go there. Um, but they're not liars, okay? That's Texas. But just kidding. American humor, come on. I had to do it, okay? But here, here's, here's what they're dealing with here. When they think of power, they think of Zeus. This is the God. And what is Zeus known for? Well, he's known for lying and manipulation and using his power to get what he wants, And so these people, they're holding Zeus really high. So when they think of power, they think of Zeus. They think of that. And so Paul is strategically saying, no, actually power does not look like that. Power is something that you can trust because it comes from God, whom you can trust. And so you see that the Cretans are kind of going through a big identity crisis right now. Like, okay, we believe what Paul said, but... You know, we're acting this way, and you can't tell the difference. And so what we've been looking at, um, we've been looking at three things specifically. So what does Christian leadership look like? What does it look like to Paul? What was he trying to tell the Cretans? What was he telling Titus to tell the Cretans? Well, Pastor Greg started off the series with Titus chapter 1, and here was the sticky statement. We experience God's life for us as we rightly relate to power. Now, this is a big one for us because when we think of power, the first person we will think of is ourselves. We're the power. But to submit ourselves under someone else's power, well, that that might be a little different. Actually, we, we don't want that. But Paul is saying, yes, you've submitted yourself to power under Zeus, but that is the wrong power. And actually, you're not the answer either. It's Jesus. 
through God, what he has done for you through Jesus, that this is the answer. This is the power that you will submit your lives to. And so there's this whole power structure that we see in the churches. We see the formation of elders. We see the formation of how the church should operate within the city. And so that's what Titus was explained, like, here's actually the true power, and here's how we will live under that power. And then we go into uh, Titus chapter 2, and this is where Jonathan took us. And the sticky statement was this, doing good is more about who we are rather than what we do. We don't do good just because we can do it. We do good because of who we are. We're in the image of God. We're in the image of his power. We're in the image of his grace and his mercy. And so this isn't a suggestion. This isn't a good idea. But if your identity is in Christ, that's how you should reflect it. That's how you should respond. That's how you should live that out. And so, so we took it from power, and now we took it to our homes and to our relationships and the people that we know. And now, chapter 3, we're taking it to everyone. Okay, not just our personal life with God, not just our friends and family, but we're taking it to the world. And here's the sticky statement. It's easy. Living out who we are to everyone. Can you say that with me? Living out who we are to everyone. Now, I just want you to think for a second. The first one, we dealt with power. Chapter one dealt with power. Power comes from God. We submit to him. We have a relationship with him. The second chapter was about our relationships with others and friends and in our home. And this one, we're talking about relationships with everyone we meet. Maybe this is an unfamiliar concept. Let me say it again. So relationship with God, relationship with one another, relationship with the world. Okay, so this is what we're looking at today. And so if you've been part of a discussion group, something that... Uh, or what TC was talking about earlier, if you've been part of one of these and you've done the Bible study, you've met together and you asked these three questions, we can answer the first one, our relationship with God. Maybe you've invited a friend and they say, oh, I don't have a relationship with God. Oh, thank you for answering. But you can answer that question. And then the second one, how's your relationship with others? But sometimes when we look at that third one, how do you relate to the world? I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes that can be tricky. I'm like, uh, I don't know. What do you want to know, who I voted for? Like, what, what does that mean? What does that mean to, you know, relate to the world? How's my relationship with the world? Well, this is, it's actually just a continuation of chapter two. If this is who you are in Christ with friends and family, guess what? It doesn't stop. Now, with everyone that you meet, you're going to follow the example of Christ. And so we're going to look at that. So if you have Titus chapter 3, we're going to read the first 10 verses. And I know it's Sunday morning. I know it's the first time we're doing a 1030 uh, service. So I'm going to be quite strategic in this. And if you are willing and able, could you please stand with me as we're going to read God's word together. The greatest thing and most important thing that we are going to read today, we're going to be chapter 3 in the book of Titus, and I'm just going to read the first 10 verses. And it says this. This is Paul writing to Titus. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and he is condemned. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Would you please teach us what it means at this time? And Jesus, would you take over? We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So here's what we're going to do very quickly, I hope. Uh, we'll see. <coughs> here's the three points, though. To, to live out this Christian leadership, to be a leader for Christ, to be an example of Christ, to just live in the identity of who Jesus is, what are three things that we need to know? First, we need to know what to do as a Christian. Second, you need to know whose you are. Why am I doing this? What made this possible? What's happening? And then the third one, we need to know whose kingdom we are building. We need to know what we're doing. So, first one, know what to do as a Christian. In the first two verses, you have six things that Paul just gets right into it. It's a continuation of chapter two. If you are in Christ, here's exactly what you need to be doing, okay? The first one is this, amen. The first one is this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient. Right off the bat, he continues this theme of power. He continues this theme like, when you lead, don't be confused of where the power comes from. Your power comes from Christ. Your power comes through him. And how did he respond to authority? How did he respond to the government? How did he do that? That's exactly what you need to do. Because we might say, well, we're Christians. We live by another law. That's true. We do. We live by a far greater law. But within that law is also the law to love and to be kind and to submit and to support and to pray for leadership. I don't know about you, but sometimes this is a very hard one for me to do. At first, I'll just complain. Oh, man, the world... It's falling apart. This is terrible. I don't know what to do. Well, I, I guess I could pray for them, but first, I'm just really upset. You know, and we just go off on that, but this is the example that we have. Paul says, remind the people, be subject to rulers and authorities, and be obedient. Why? Because you're reflecting God, whom you're supposed to be obedient to as well. And so that same reflection, how cool would it be if you know, and maybe you've had this in your own life. People will see you and like, man, why do you do the things that you do? Why do you obey when you could get angry? Are you like a Christian or something? And I'm like, yes. Like, I absolutely love that. That's the biggest compliment of all. So, yeah, there you go. Number one. Second, be ready to do whatever is good. Be ready to do whatever is good. I think last week was an awesome example of this. 
we were good to the community. And I don't say that in a prideful way, but I say that as, you know, a truthful way. Like, God blessed that day. And why did we do this? I, my answer to pe- people came up, oh, can we give donations to this? Why are you doing this? You know what my answer was? Why not? They're like, oh, cool. Thank you. And we just want to serve. We want to be good to our communities. We want to see the reputation of Christ grow uh, through our relational circles. So we are to serve. Also, Paul says this, slander no one. Slander no one. So as you're going to go out, as you're going to serve, remember, slander no one. Don't talk about though. And basically, excuse me, what he's saying here is this. If you talk bad towards another person or behind their back, or if you slander them, you want to take them down, you want to ruin their reputation, you want to hurt them. Yes, I know you're right, but you don't want them to be right. You want them to be wrong. You want everyone to see it. Paul is saying this, don't slander because you are going against someone who is made in the image of God. That's a big one. So think of your enemies. Think of those people that you see on a weekly basis that it would be easy to slander. Maybe they're slandering against you. But because of who you are, you know that that is someone who's not just here by accident, not someone that just takes up space, but they are made in the same image that you're made of a perfect God. So do not slander against them. And then he says, be peaceable. Refuse to fight. Refuse to bring peace. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He brought peace. And then it says, be considerate. This is a big one. Paul actually says this to quite a few churches. And he talks about giving up your rights. Giving up your rights. And this means heritage, ethnicity, position, status. Now, this is a big one. Because maybe we have worked hard for these things. And maybe we've done godly things to achieve these statuses and this position. But Paul says, don't hold on to that. Hold on to the position of Christ. He mentions the word doctrine quite a few times. Hold on to what you know is right, to what God has said. Hold on to that. Don't just hold on to who you are. Because who you are is not as good as who God is. So hold on to God. And then he concludes by saying, and always be gentle toward everyone. This word here, gentle, another word for it is meekness. That's the literal translation, to be meek. So how do we do this? We follow the example of Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Never mind. I'll just have to make powerful points. Okay. Are we good? Cool. So, so we follow the example of Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Also, this is one of the fruits that we find, one of the fruits of the spirits found in Galatians chapter 5. And so, that's, that's the first two verses. Know what to do. Those two verses, or those first two verses tell us exactly what to do. Now we might say, cool, I've heard it before. I've tried it. It didn't really work when I tried to be gentle and meek. It didn't really help when I tried to serve my community because my community didn't respond well. Um, you know, uh, I tried to bring peace 
and there was just too much chaos. Uh, I didn't slander anyone, yet they slandered me. So yeah, I can do these things, but what? What? What is the point? Well, the reason that we do those things is because we need to remember whose we are. We don't do these because we can, but we do these because it's who we are. It's who we are. We find this in verse 3 to 7. And Paul immediately goes into a defense and explanation after telling people what to do as Christians. He is saying why we are able to do these things and why he's able to make this request in the Christian's life to do these things. Because of this, we saw in Titus chapter 2, Christians are to demonstrate this same kindness and love to lost individuals and society, making Christianity attractive and resulting in the salvation of others. Cool. But why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't that happen sometimes? Sometimes it happens, but why doesn't it happen all the time? When we bring peace to the chaos, why is there still chaos? When we bring gentleness to a hard situation, well, why didn't that win? Why? Well, I think two things can trip us up. And it's a power trip. Because, again, we forget where the power lies. And sometimes we can get in this place to where it's hard to do these things or where we don't do these things because of how we view the power source. And the power source is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus, what he has done for us. Not a good idea, not a good suggestion. Good news. News means it happened, and this is good news. But sometimes we can interpret this not through God's eyes, not through God's intent, but again, through our rights, through who we are, through our experiences. And so we see God's gospel, or excuse me, the gospel of Christ, but what we will do is we'll live it out our way. We'll live it out through our interpretation instead of exactly what it's supposed to be. And I bring two things to help, uh, to help explain this. We see this through, maybe you've heard this before, religion versus rebellion. Sometimes those are the two ways that we are going to view the gospel. The religion way is this. This is well, what you do, right? Religion is what you do. The practices, well, I've gone to church every Sunday, or I've kept this, and I've kept this, and to be, you know, in right relationship with God, he needs to make sure that I'm always doing stuff. And so whenever he looks at me, you know, uh, I'm going to be doing something. I saw a postcard a few years ago. It said, Jesus is coming soon, dot, 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 look busy. And sometimes that's how we feel, like, oh, He's coming. Oh, I, I need to be doing this. And we're not doing it out of relationship. But instead, we're doing it out of fear. We're doing it out of obligation. And we're not doing it out of his power, but we're doing it simply because we can. And then the second thing is rebellion. We won't live out the gospel, one, because it's, it's good, but maybe, yeah, it, it's just kind of too hard. And if, you know, if I've lived this long without it, can I continue doing my ways? Yeah, I may mess up a little bit, but I don't need to fully submit to that. Can I just do pieces of it? Can I just go to church? Can I just do that? But to fully commit to that? No, that, that's a hard one. I have two quotes for you. Humanity's sinful acts are the result of a sinful nature. 
Salvation cannot be attained by suppressing sinful acts, by doing more righteous acts than sinful acts, or by living a better life in comparison to others. Salvation can only be attained by effectively dealing with humanity's sinful nature. That's there. Anyway, next quote is by uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he says this, Works of righteousness are the fruit of salvation, and the root must come before the fruit. The Lord saves his people out of clear, unmixed, undiluted mercy and grace, and for no other reason. So if that's the gospel, it's mercy, it's grace. It's not something that we can achieve, and it's something that we shouldn't run away from. It can't be merited on religious standards, nor can it be ignored by rebellion. You have to do something about it. But how do we get to a place where we question the gospel? These things that Paul's saying, these are the things that you will do because of who you are, but then we question them and we don't do it. Well, how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place? I believe, simply, it's because of the way that we view God. Just like the Cretans, the way that they were viewing power, they wanted to imitate Zeus, but they didn't want to imitate God because that didn't look like the world. That didn't look like what was happening around them. And the same with us. How do we view God? Yes, we hear gospel. Yes, we hear instruction. But how do we view God? And I thought a great way to illustrate this is actually found in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, you have Jesus teaching, he's doing miracles, and while he's in the midst of this, he has his disciples around him, two of them come up to him, two brothers. They come up and they say, hey, Jesus, psst, psst, uh, yeah, guys, yeah, I, I, I know you're like doing miracles, but could, could you come here real quick? Could you come here? Okay, guys, I'm, I'm kind of busy. What's going on? Okay, Jesus, j just so you know, we've been talking, me and my brother, James and John, we're talking, and we've come up with a plan. When you get up to heaven and you sit on your throne, right and left, we're going to be on each side. It's a pretty cool plan, huh? Jesus said, what? No. We can't do, oh, that's okay, left and right. It doesn't matter. We Just let us sit either, either side. We want to sit there with you. We want to be there. You've been talking about leadership and power, and, and we decide we want that. And so we want to be with you right by your throne. Jesus says, guys, I, I can't do that. No, 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 that's okay. Our mom's in it on it as well. She said it's okay. We would be great, and so we'll sit right there. He goes, guys, the cup I'm going to drink from, you can't do it. The baptism I'm going to have to go through, you can't do it. It's going to cost my life. Oh, yeah, we can do that. We can do that. He goes, no, you will do that because of what I will do. But also, too, this throne, this is not mine to give. That's not part of the plan for you to rule. There's already power in charge, and we need to believe and trust in that. So, guys, I can't give that to you. And instead of getting upset, the other disciples get upset. And they go to James and John. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I personally think it's because they didn't think of the idea themselves. And they're like, oh, we should have thought of that. Why, why did you, you know, get all upset? 
But then Jesus says this in Mark chapter 10. Sorry, let me get here. Okay, verse 39. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left, that's not mine to grant. But it's for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard about it, as, you said, as I said, they got upset. And then Jesus says this. Jesus called them to him made a teachable moment out of it, said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Meaning, you know those who have leadership, those who are given power, they use it and it becomes their identity. They lord it over people. They say, don't, don't you realize I'm in charge here? Don't you realize I, I'm, I'm the one? And sometimes we see this, and leadership's good, but sometimes leadership can get messy. Sometimes it can get hurtful just because of position. And he says, this is what you see. Whenever you can lord it over someone, you do that. And he says, and their great one exercises authority over them. Verse 43, but it shall not be with you. It shall not be with you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So how, how do we lose the power of the gospel sometimes? Because we think we're the ones that have to do it. But no, it's not. The gospel is not about what we do. It's about what's been done. Jesus did it. And will we trust that? Will we know that our effort is not good on its own, but it's perfected through him? Because we're to do good works. But because we have a good God who allowed us to do so. And then through rebellion, again, when we look at this power source, yeah, we can take the power, we can do this, but wait, we have to do it differently? Well, that, that's not how I roll. That, that's not how I do it. But Jesus says, that's not how power works with me. Not so with you. When you go into the world, wherever you go, this is how you are to represent me. Not to see who can sit on my right or my left, but to trust me in all things. To use my power. So, yes, God is powerful. We may get that. Thank you, Matt, for explaining that. But then why aren't my friends coming to Jesus? Why isn't that power attractive? Why is it not working? If we're supposed to go out into the world, are, are we being set up to fail? Are people actually going to hear about the good news of Jesus? Like, what do we do? Yes, Paul gave us these six things, but what if I don't even believe that? Like, why? How did we get to this point? And again, it's how we view God. And I think not necessarily on the power, on the power side, because we could say, yeah, sure. God's holy. He's mighty. Good. He can do it. Yep. God's good. But I think we can start to question when it comes to moral issues. And you'll see it in our society all the time. People will say, yeah, God may be powerful, but you know what? He also seems a little intolerant to me. You know what? 
Why can't he just accept people for who they are? Why can't, you know, the decisions they make and their love life and the way they view themselves, why can't he accept? I can accept that. And, you know, if I can accept that, maybe, maybe I understand it a bit better than God. Does that make sense? How about this one? Well, God's vindictive. You know, this whole coming down to save us, and, and if we don't choose him, we're eternally separated from him. Man, it sounds like God's just full of revenge. Like, I wouldn't do that to my worst enemies. I wouldn't separate them from me for eternity. Oh, that, no. No, that, that, that doesn't sound very good. I, I, I think I'm better at God than that. I'm a bit more open. And God, he's a little bit egotistical. I mean, come worship me. Come do that. Like, you don't have to worship me. We, am I hitting any buttons here? <laughs> like, because I feel really weird saying it. But, um, but we can think that. Like, man, who, who does God think he is? And then also, too, you know, why can't God just partner up with other things? You know, maybe like science or other smart people. Why can't he share the load a little bit? I mean, that's what I do. I pick from this religion and this religion and this faith and this point of view, and it works for me. So, yeah, it seems like, you know, God may be powerful, but he's kind of out of touch with reality. He doesn't get it as well as I do. And when you start thinking that way, when you start questioning, when your view of God changes that way, you will be serving yourself and not God. And where does this come from? Where do these ideas come from? Unfortunately, it could come from other Christians. Where people say, oh, you're a Christian. You're supposed to do this, this, and this. Well, yeah, but, you know, two out of three ain't bad, right? Like, I I get most of them, but some. And people are watching your actions. When financial struggle hits, people will watch. Who do they trust? Do they try to scheme? Do they try to make shortcuts? Do they try to make things happen? Or do they actually trust this God guy? Or in relationships, you know, yeah. You know, what if they look at your marriage? What if they look at your past relationships and say, how did they deal in that? Aren't you supposed to be this? Aren't you supposed to love this way? Oh, I guess you can pick and choose on those things. And people look, and so when they see that, that we're just making our own calls apart from God, it can get to that place. Sorry. Um, But also, too, because of the world that we live in, we might be breathing some of this stuff in as well. And it begins to change our view. How we see God, the Trinity, which is spoken of in Titus. You see how God operates, the Son and the Spirit. Um, you may look at the Bible this way, too. You know, in the Old Testament, that was the angry father God. You know, he made his kids do this and this and this, and if they failed, oh, he threw rocks at them. Like, that's an that's a angry God. But then in the New Testament, yes, yes. Blonde hair, hippie Jesus comes and brings peace and everything is good. But that's, no. The Bible is the same God through and through. He loves his kids equally. He teaches the same. He presents himself the same. 
And we need, to remind, we need to remember this. When we are viewing God, we can't be just using this mind. We have to be given the mind that was in Christ. Because here's the reality. God has no problems. God has no problems. With those examples that I gave, we might say, oh yeah, God can't do this, or God is morally strict there, and this and this. But no, God has no problems. But you know who does have problems? Don't point at me. Who has problems? We all do. Humans. We have problems. And we are in need of this God. We have problems. Now, we might say, yeah, we have problems, but maybe just like psychological problems, maybe just other things. But like, you know, as far as guilt, I don't feel bad for who I am. I don't feel bad for what I do. But you know what? We do have meaninglessness. Think of your friends and your family. Have they ever asked, man, what, what's this life about? That's a big problem. That's a huge problem. We're just here. We live. Maybe we had a good life. Maybe we had a bad life, and then we die, and that's it. That's a huge problem. But we need to remember, as Paul is telling Titus, God has genuine, generously and genuinely reached out into this problem. But it is us that keeps running away. And that's what we need to remember in our view of God. He's God. He doesn't have problems. But we have problems and we need him. But when he comes, we still have a problem because we run away. And that's why Paul is saying, these things matter what you do. You need to remember how you came into this life, you need to remember what you were saved from. Because as it says in verse 3, yeah, you were destroying yourselves. You were destroying people. You need to remember that Jesus is life. You need to remember that Jesus is worth running to. Jesus is worth imitating and living like. You know, in our D groups, we ask these questions. How is your relationship with God, one another, and the world? Those are relational questions. Those are personal questions. For you to say, yeah, do I view God the way that he wants to be viewed? And how did that come to be? Are my relationships affecting that? Do I try to please those rather than God? Do I talk to those relationships about God? And then what about the world? How does the world see me? Do I just hide? Do I just keep quiet? Or do I live out the exact same way as when I'm with God and when I'm with others? Verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So why do we need to do good? Why do we need to do those things that Paul said? As Christians, as imitators of Christ, why do we need to do that? Through verses 9 to 11, Paul says this. There's false teachers among you. There's going to be people who are telling you different views of God, different things. You need to, you need to beware of that. You need to know how to look out for that. And how do you counterbalance that? You live a life that counterbalances that. No, that's not true. Look at my life, which I am imitating in Christ. Also, the church. 
Here's another quote for you. Divisions within the church result in believers who are confused, frustrated, angry, and hurt. They become ineffective in ministering to one another and to a lost world in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good works characteristic of genuine Christians. When I was in high school, we're going to conclude here. When I was in high school, uh, maybe I've shared this with you before, but my youth pastor had a brilliant way to reach the world. You know what it was? It was actually a little piece of, a little article of clothing. It was a bracelet. And on the bracelet were four letters. Anyone want to take a guess what those were? WWJD, which stood for, what would Jesus do? And he said, Matt, what I want you to do is wear this bracelet, and I guarantee you, people in your high school are going to know who you follow and what you're about. And you know what? He was right. My whole school knew I was a Christian because of that bracelet. Thank you, youth pastor. It was great. But you know what? That bracelet didn't really lead anyone to the Lord. It didn't. And do you know why? Because when I looked at that bracelet, it was a powerful statement. Yes, think, what would Jesus do in situations, in scary situations, in tight situations? What do you do? Well, what would Jesus do? But you know what happened? Matt got a little too creative. And so he took that question quite literally. So when he saw his football team there, felt, hmm, I wonder, if, I wonder if I'll invite them to youth group. That would be cool. Yeah, maybe I'll do well, Wait, what would Jesus do? I think he would do it next week because they look uh, busy. And so, yeah, I'm going to do this. And so that's what I would do. Or if another situation came about, what would Jesus do? Well, I think he wouldn't forgive in this specific instance because she deserves it. She knew exactly what she was doing, and so, yeah, I think that's what Jesus would do. Well, I think that's where we get it wrong by asking that question. But instead, let me see if I can get it here. We need, oh, oh, you already got it. Cool. We need to be asking this. WDJD, what did Jesus do? Now it's not up to me to decide. But I get to see that Jesus, he went into the tough conversations. He went into the tough situations. He went into the hopeless situations, to the meaningless situations. He walked in to those. And he's inviting us to do the exact same thing, to walk into that. And so as we look here, as we see what's happening in Titus, where does the power come from? It comes from God. Okay, how does that work in our homes and in our relationships? How do we carry that out? Well, we do good because God is good. But then how do we do that to the world? You keep doing good because God is good. And this would be the time where I give like application. But what I'd rather give today is implication. If we don't do this, how do they hear? Does that make sense? If we don't trust God to use us in our work, how are they going to hear? If we don't trust God's power in our own families and homes, 
how are they going to see that power displayed? If we don't trust God when we go overseas or to the impossible situations and we say, how could God use me? Because you're of God. Because he made you for that. He's told you what to do. He's told you where you've come from. And now this is what it looks like. Go. So if you could bow your heads, close your eyes with me. We're going to have the worship team come up. I'm going to pray in just a minute. But I just want you to think. What we saw Paul write here is a very, very personal expression. And why is it personal? Because he had a very personal relationship with Jesus. It's why he breathed. It's why he even put pen to paper. It's why he went into those situations. It's why he didn't care if he lived or died, because he knew that God would receive the glory. His view of God was so powerful, so strong, that that's all he saw. But for us who hear this, yes, the gospel is good news. Yes, the gospel saves. But it's really hard. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not what I would do. No, it's not. But what did Jesus do? And so as we conclude on this book and on this series, in many ways, we're kind of just continuing the conversation that was made thousands of years ago when God spoke this life into existence, when he knew that man and women would turn away. But he continued to chase after us. Why? So that we would depend on him and also chase after others. Chase after him, chase after those in our lives, and also chase after the world. To tell them, yeah, we have problems, but God has no problems, and he gives life. And so one way that we are going to remember this, we do this every week, is we take communion. And this is a chance where we continue to make space for God and to say, God, you're enough. And I see that you made a way. And he did. He made a way. And when you look at these elements, you'll see there, there are two cups stacked on top of one another. And so there's bread in one of them and juice in the other. And the bread just represents that God was all in. He had his body broken for us. For the sin and shame and payment that was on us, God took it. Not because he had to, not because he lost a bet, but willingly he took it. And the blood, that's the good work. That's the perfect work. That's what was spilled for us. That's what was sacrificed for us. That's what covers the sin so that when God sees us, he sees the son. He sees exactly what we were supposed to be, those who are fully dependent on him. And so I'm going to invite our servers to come up. And then during the worship, um, if you are able and willing, and this is your identity, you know what God has done for you. I would invite you to come and to take part in this. And if, if that's not you yet, if that's not you, I would ask you to contemplate on these things. Think of these things. How is my view of God? 
Why is it that way? Am I listening to him? Or am I listening to myself or others? Why? And who, who's better? Who's right? Contemplate on those things. Come talk with me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. 